welcome to my mommy's podcast. This episode is brought to you by SteadyMD, the new way that I am working with my primary doctor. Think about this. We text our friends, we text our family, we even text our babysitters whenever we need them. So why do we go sit in an office for hours to wait to our talk to talk to our doctor when we only have a five minute question? That's why I'm so excited about SteadyMD. It's a revolutionary new company that is changing the way that patients interact with their primary care doctors. They have a network of specialized doctors that have a background in everything from functional medicine to thyroid care and many other conditions so they can work with you and be personalized to you. They also now have a pediatric add-on that means I can text or video chat my doctor whenever one of my kids is sick or gets a scrape or a bee sting, and they can look and tell me if it needs additional medical attention. I have my own doctor who knows me, who knows my medical history, and who knows my health philosophy, but who also has a limited number of patients, much less than most doctors. This way, they're available via text and video chat at all times. And they know things like I want to avoid antibiotics whenever I can, or that I have thyroid disease. I really think this is the future of healthcare, and it has been awesome for our family. You can check them out and learn more by going to steadymd.com forward slash WM. That's S-T-E-A-D-Y-M-D.com forward slash WM. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. If you've tried their delicious coffees and elixirs, you know just how amazing they are. And if you haven't, you are missing out. Four Sigmatic creates superfood mushroom drinks that are super easy to incorporate into your daily life. Their coffee packets, for instance, are easy to mix into hot or cold liquid. They taste amazing, and they have the benefit of added mushrooms like lion's mane, chaga, and cordyceps to give your brain an extra boost and also to tone down the jitters. So they have slightly less caffeine, but I find double the focus from that versus plain coffee. And just a tip, I like to mix their packets into almond milk for like a cold brew type of taste. But there's a lot of science backing up these mushrooms as well. Studies continually show the benefits of these superfood medicinal mushrooms for things like brain health, immune health, and so much more. My favorite is their coffee with lion's mane, and I drink that a lot of mornings for a smooth boost without the jitters of regular coffee. And I also love their reishi in the evening for amazing sleep. During the day, I'll often add in a cup of chaga or cordyceps for the immune and focus benefits. But you can check out all of those and all of their other products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama, and you can save 15% with the code wellness mama all one word. So again that's f o u r s i g m a t i c.com forward slash wellness mama and make sure to use the code wellness mama. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Mama podcast. I'm Katie from wellnessmama.com and today's episode is going to be a fascinating one. I am here with Dr. Shane Morris who is a biochemist and molecular biologist who specializes in beneficial interactions between our cellular biological systems and the microbiota and using therapeutic herbal ingredients to achieve better health. His research in biochemistry and microbiology has yielded a number of peer-reviewed publications, and he holds multiple patents in the area of detoxification, nutrition, and microbiome research. As part of his ongoing research, he studies how using specific phytochemicals and nutraceuticals can exert their influence on our cellular process, and his research also focuses mainly on detoxification at the cellular level. 
Today, he's going to be explaining to us how true detoxification occurs involving something called the endoplasmic reticulum, and we're going to be going through those specific biochemical processes. Um, I'll mention it again at the end. We are going to be talking about a compound, um, specifically zeolite, and how it's unique to the body. And while we're talking, you can learn more about that at getcytocyto.com. So just so you guys have some background for the conversation. Dr. Shane, welcome, and thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks a lot. And uh, it was quite a mouthful. Your bio, you're very, uh, you have many achievements. I'm excited to to really delve into this with you. And from what I understand in researching um, your field and your expertise is that this is somewhat of a generational story for you, I think, right? Your family has been involved in areas of research for a long time. I'd love to hear how you got into this field. Yeah, yeah, it's a great, it, it is a fun story. And, you know, when you're in it, you're, you're, you forget to the forest of the trees, we're so focused on our own research that sometimes we forget that it's fun and exciting. It's, you know, sometimes it's just, it's just work, but it starts back with my grandfather who probably in his midlife decided, Hey, there's got to be a better way of health. And keep in mind, this is in the sixties uh, and seventies, but he's looking at the world. And, and of course I believe in, in his story, and I wasn't there at the time, but in his story, he was coming across more Native American and uh, more Native healing, you know, medicinal healing, as opposed to the model that, you know, the model that we had in the United States at the time. And he was realizing that even then, most of our modern allopathic model was, from a pharmaceutical standpoint, was based on natural products. Almost everything, at least 75 to 80% of our drugs were actually taken somewhere from nature. And he's quickly looking at that saying, hold on, there's got to be a better way to do this because they take it, they ruin it, and they turn it into some chemical that gives us all sorts of side effects. And that was early. I mean, if you think about him in the 60s and 70s thinking like we think now, you know, in retrospect, he was way ahead of it. And then add to that, he, he was also interested in diet and health, using meals or, or eating plants as a way of delivering health to the body. Later now, we can look back on the microbiome and other areas that, again, he was ahead of his time. Well, he starts a company. He really gets involved in the, in the research and also into um, creating products for people in the United States back then. And, of course, I come into the picture not until the 80s. Uh, I start working with him in 1984, 85, 86. Um, he passes in 90. In that time span, though, his kids get involved, my mother and uncles and they carry on the legacy from that standpoint. And now here I am uh, after going through one, I, I began the business as just on the ground level. I was, I was harvesting plants. I was doing, uh, creating tablets and capsules and powders. I was the laborer, right? I was grinding and making capsules. I was that kid growing up just running equipment. Of course, that evolved into running the operations and understanding quality control, getting involved with the FDA, you know, both at the state level and the federal level to, to make our companies legitimate. And ultimately I went and I got my undergraduate in chemistry and microbiology because they didn't offer a biochemistry at the time. And then I moved into graduate school and my business school and all to kind of continue the legacy. So here we are now where I do have a research arm. Um, I love the business side. And honestly, we love to be able to get the most amazing materials around the planet and put them into a form that people can take them. And that's the end of the story. That's impressive. So this has literally been a life's work for you. And even before that, for your family, 
so one of the topics I'm super excited to really dive into you to with you today is detoxification because I think there's a ton of misinformation and potentially dangerous misinformation out there on this topic. And I also think it's a growing problem. So based on my background and my research, both in nutrition and then now almost 12 years of research in the health space, it's no secret that we are facing a much wider variety of negative inputs that our body has to deal with than previous generations have with the thousands and thousands of chemicals that are approved for both food and also for personal care products and cleaners and household substances. So I know I've seen a lot of this data from the outside of what we're facing, but I'd love to get your take on that of what are these compounds that our body has to deal with on a daily basis that basically give us a need to have to detox them. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and it's an important aspect because I, I agree with you that detoxification has become sensationalized. One of my uh, talks I gave a few years ago, actually it was with Warren and Pampa, that the sensationalism has turned, we've taken detoxification from a, a serious process of our body. I mean, it's just, it, we're dedicating genes and cellular organelles that detox us at the cellular level. And we'll get into that in a minute. It's not, it's not something that I think we should take lightly because we have been exposed to toxins on this planet forever. Now, for the most part, up until this modern industrial revolution, these toxins were they were of a biological nature. They were either from the soil as, a, as in the form of a metal or they were from a, you know, a living organism that we came, became exposed to. And we have many, many traits genetically and otherwise our microbiome, et cetera, can help us detox. And there's mechanisms that are designed to do this. But now what we have is humans have created hundreds of thousands of chemicals. And, you know, the last statistic I read is we in the United States are exposed to somewhere in the neighborhood of 80,000 man-made chemicals any given year. Now, that's 80,000 compounds that your body has not had a chance to learn to deal with, to be exposed. You know, that's, that's, not like, that's like saying that you, know, you move us from, from where we live and drop us in the middle of the Antarctic naked. We don't have the tools to deal with the, the shock of all these chemicals. Furthermore, the environment doesn't have the tools to deal with them. And so the detoxification that's been sensationalized is, are things like the 24-hour detox or the, you know, take this drink for seven days and you're going to be better. And it, I'm here to tell you that to do true detoxification, you have to really work your way out of it like any other truly beneficial process, whether it be getting yourself to a healthy glycemic uh, position, getting your cognitive function back to normal, getting your, um, you know, your, um, let's say, liver back in check and so on. These are, these are very, very difficult yet accomplishable tasks. And we have to take them seriously because we now know there are ways to do this. And it certainly shouldn't be this get fixed quick scheme. It's like the get rich quick scheme. We all know that that isn't real. You can't do that. You have to put in the effort, put in the time, and put in the understanding. And that's where, you know, we're like today, we're going to talk a little bit about the understanding of it. And although it's heady and it can be a little bit overwhelming, we can also break it down and make it simple. And as you said, first thing I want to say is there are two kinds of chemicals that we're exposed to ongoing. There's organic chemicals. Organic chemicals are things made of hydrogen, carbon, nitrogen, and oxygen. Organic chemicals are things produced by uh, molds. They're things produced by organic chemists like our pesticides. These are considered or organic type chemicals. We then have heavy metals. 
heavy metals, as the name says, it's a metal. It's on the periodic table, and you know it as lead, cadmium, mercury, arsenic, and so on. There are two very different ways to detoxify these two class of chemicals, and within each of those, there are also some subtleties that we have to, to be considered, whether it is a pesticide or an aflatoxin from mold. They're both organic. We have to be able to deal with them, uh, of course, effectively and slightly differently, but just for this conversation today, remember there's in, inorganic and organic. Inorganic is are the metals, so to speak. Got it. That's helpful. And I feel like Unfortunately, I often think of um, how our grandparents, for the most part, or certainly our great-grandparents, they could very much live a moderate lifestyle, get movement, get sunshine, eat a regular status quo type diet, and be relatively okay. And unfortunately, I feel like at least from what I'm seeing both in the research and from the people I hear from on a daily basis, we seem to have passed a threshold where it's no longer okay just to do the status quo or just to maintain or to do what everyone else is doing and do everything in moderation. We actually seem to be at a time in history when there is a need to be proactive and to consciously remove these things from our bodies just because of the amount of things that we face. And I think it'd be helpful to understand, because you mentioned there are some dangerous cleanses and that like a seven-day this supplement fast cleanse or whatever is not going to do the same thing as actually understanding the physiology of the body and detoxing correctly. But what does it mean then to detox? Are there different levels of this? I know that often um, there's criticism of different types of cleanses and detoxes because you know doctors will say the body naturally knows how to detox. We don't have to do these crazy things. Um, but I feel like also we do need to support the body in the process. So can you kind of talk through what's actually happening in the body when someone's detoxing? Yeah, that's, and that really is, is a great lead-in because we need, when we think about detox, is there a benefit to these quick, these quick situations? There actually can be. It's, it's, it can be thought of as like in, in other religious you know, cultures where you do a, a fast, right, or an intermittent fast. There are some benefits there. There's some benefits to cleaning out the bowels and you know, having a single, let's say, a single green drink going through you for a few days. It, it limits the complexity of what you're taking in, so it allows the body to do a little bit of a simplification. You know, it's like... It's like taking a nap or something. It can't. There are benefits, but it's not a true detox, from my opinion, in the sense of really getting it down to the cellular level. And when I say that, we're getting down to the, here's where we come to the compounds. When we're exposed from our drinks and our food, and like you said, your grandparents didn't have the exposure, especially if they were rural. They were not getting the exposure to the 20,000 compounds that, that existed back then, or and now it's 80,000 plus. This exposure, we get it from everyday plastics, we get it from the air, we get it from our food, it's in the soil. We're, we're no longer able to avoid it. As you know, as we all know, we should know if we're, if we're a conscientious person on this planet, there isn't a single place on the planet that you can't go and find plastic. We're finding it at the deepest areas of the ocean. We're finding it in Antarctica. We're finding it in all animals. If you harvest a fish, most fishermen, whether you go to LA, Japan, or the East Coast, when you harvest a fish and cut it open, you're going to find plastic in every fish that's being used as food because they can't avoid it. It's everywhere. We know this. We know how much exposure is happening. We can't ignore the, the long-term consequences that we didn't have before. And, and I blame plastics for a lot of this because they contain both organic and heavy metal toxins. Now, that being said, in my little bit of soapbox, we, when the body gets exposed to these things, 
whether they be at a minimal level or high levels, they can accumulate. And when they accumulate in our body, they can impact things like our enzymes. They can impact cells, uh, the cell receptors, right? We know BPA can actually act on the cell receptor and change the way your body manages hormones. Uh, We see that happening in the southern United States where a lot of the frogs are all coming out female because the plasticizers are switching on genes that stop the male from the male uh, embryos turning into male. They're all becoming females. We're seeing this around the planet. And now we can't think that we're all of a sudden absolved of this. It's happening to us. It just takes longer because we're more complex. So it gets into your tissue. It gets into your organs. Ultimately, what happens is it finds its way inside the cell. And you're right. In the old days, you had ways to detox that. One, you didn't have nearly as much exposure or the different kinds. And two, these mechanisms can sometimes be challenged by the fact that these toxins are, are dangerous. What do I mean by that? For example, BPA. If I get exposed to, uh, if I'm, if I'm a, uh, I live on an island, you know, let's say it's Greenland and I've been exposed to volcanic metals. So I have some genetics. I have some of the ability to detox the arsenic that happens in volcanic um, soils. But now I add to that 20,000 plasticizers that are in my diet now. I'm no longer going to be able to handle the arsenic that my, that my grandparents could handle because now I have all these plasticizers in my body. You know, it's this whole cup situation. Furthermore, some of these things act like hormones. So now I've got hormonal issues that have been tagged onto my detoxification issues, which is now allowing arsenic to stick around in my system and create neurological problems. And the same thing can be said for mercury and lead, for example. Because in the past, lead and mercury, we were exposed to them, but we never had the problems we have now regarding those two heavy metals because we weren't shutting down the systems that took care of them. And that's all happening. We're shutting down systems through other mechanisms like our plasticizers can get involved in. So what do we do about it? Well, when I say that we do research on the detoxification system, I want people to envision going in the tissue. So first you go into the body, into the tissue, and now into the cell. And most of us can remember inside of a cell, cell is a, you know, it's a ball, it's a sphere. And on the outside of that cell is a membrane. And the membrane has little openings or receptors and things that communicate with its world, not unlike your skin and your eyes and your fingers. It can sense the world around it. Inside the cell, we have the nucleus, which is where all our DNA is housed. And then we have something called the endoplasmic reticulum. That is where all of the magic happens. That's where all of these enzymes and all of the genetics, as you mentioned, that we have to take care of toxins, that happens in the endoplasmic reticulum. For those people that really love to get into their cells, if you go and look that up, it's the smooth endoplasmic reticulum. And inside that are all these amazing tools that allow you to detox. It is essentially the waste treatment plant of the cell. It requires a lot of energy, just like a regular waste treatment plant could, and it requires a lot of these genetic tools or enzymes that help you get rid of toxins. That little organelle needs a healthy mitochondria for ATP, needs a healthy nucleus to get the enzymes made, and it needs a lot of cofactors. Cofactors are things that we eat. We call them vitamins. We call them trace minerals. We call them uh, phytochemicals, things we get from our diet. They're really required for the endoplasmic reticulum to do its job. And that's where I focus our research. 
That's super fascinating. So basically to make sure I'm understanding the body already has natural, a natural process and built in pathways basically for this, the process of detoxification. So it's not something that we have to accomplish purely through external things. The body knows what to do, but just because of the sheer volume of things the body has to deal with, it has an impaired ability to do what it's always throughout history been able to do. Is that, am I getting the gist of it? Yeah. And I would add to that, it's, it's not just the volume, but it's the complexity of toxins. 200 years ago, you didn't have all these chemicals in every aspect of your life that you breathe and eat and touch and feel. And they're, they're making their way into your body. And they're just, they're, they're over, we can make a chemical a thousand times faster than we can, than our body can adapt a way to get rid of it. And so what's happening is it's not just the volume, but it's also the complexity of these toxins. And yes, and, and when you think about, again, going back to the endoplasmic reticulum, those are the tools, but some of our chemicals not only accumulate, but they destroy your ability to get rid of them, meaning that they act on your cell that prevents the cell from actually, for example, it would be like lighting a bomb in the waste treatment plant. If someone were to go blow up the waste treatment plant in a city, you're, you're going to back up all the waste materials are going to start backing up in the city because the facility isn't getting rid of it, if that makes sense. It does. And I would guess there's also then, so if these things are accumulating, if these harmful substances are accumulating in the body, in order to detoxify them, you have to move them around to get them out. And I would guess that there's potential danger if it's done incorrectly because you are mobilizing things. And I'm curious if if I'm right about that. And also if there are other mistakes that you see in people who detox the wrong way, is there actual danger there? You know, that's great. I mean, that's that's an amazing observation because most people don't think of the, they are mobile and they sometimes get accumulate, they accumulate in certain tissues depending on the nature of the chemical. So for example, you get mercury can accumulate in the brain. You can get other pesticides that accumulate in the brain because of the high level of fattiness to it. A lot, there's a lot of membrane in the brain, which means that fatty type compounds or things that are lipophilic, they love fat, they will go there. You can actually accumulate, accumulate some toxins in the bone. Some toxins can accumulate in the liver, clearly, of course, we know that, and other tissues. Sometimes they can accumulate in our urogenital tract or, or in areas for like women in their reproductive tissue. And that's scary because that affects the current level of reproductive issues that I think we're facing more and more with uh, the younger generations. So you're right, depending on your exposure and depending on the not only the type, but how long and what you're doing to get rid of that, it does certainly impact the different tissues. And then when you start to detox and you, and you do want to mobilize it, you can create problems because a lot of times when, let's say a toxin accumulates in the bone, it's not really doing damage at the moment, but when you mobilize it, now you start to feel what's happening or you start to notice a symptom. And those are things that all of the, the practitioners that you, know, you and I are um, familiar with all report different phenomenon as they're going through a, a really good detoxification program they're getting that immobilization, but they need to get secretion. And that brings us to when I talk about a cell and when I talk about the cell being in part of a tissue, as we all know, part of the body, we also can talk about something called phase one, phase two, and phase three detoxification. And, and it's best to talk about that at the cellular level. For me, I feel like I can give better clarity, but phase one detoxification is the cell's ability to sort the garbage. So if we think about your garbage can, you've got really dangerous things in there like razor blades and cans and you know really dangerous things and then you've got paper. Well, phase 1 will sort those toxins into categories. 
and it targets them for ultimately for waste removal, you know, out, whether it be through the skin, through the urine or for their feces, either way, it's targeting them. Phase two takes it a step further and takes some of the more dangerous ones and now tags them with a molecule, whether it be a sugar or a glutathione or a methyl group or an acetyl group. And again, those are a lot of chemical words I just used. And hopefully the idea is this, it further sorts the toxins into categories saying we have to get rid of these these chemicals, they're extremely dangerous. So your endoplasmic reticulum does phase one, then it does phase two, and phase three is actually secretion. That is, it moves it from somewhere in your body and puts it into the urine. So it either moves it through the kidney and the bladder, or it moves it into the through the gallbladder into the feces, or into the tissue and to be sweated out, or breathed out sometimes by the lungs. It targets it for, for getting rid of it. That's one of the issues is phase three. So you're absolutely right as you, you want to mobilize as you're detoxing and you want to turn on all of those facilities within the endoplasmic reticulum that actually brings us to, I, I imagine, the, the, the solution to the problem. Whereas what do we do to make our endoplasmic reticulum as healthy as possible to capture it and get it secreted? Part two is once your body starts mobilizing it, how do we trap it? And that's a word called chelation. We want to trap things, bind them up so they can't be reabsorbed. For example, if you're, if you're moving something out of the waste treatment plant, you don't want it to re-enter the water stream. You want it to be destroyed. You want it to go, you know, you want to burn it. You don't want to just have it re-enter and make you sick again. That's the chelation phenomenon. So you have the the nutrients and the things we need to drive a good endoplasmic reticulum phase one, phase two, phase three, but then we want to trap everything through a process called chelation so that your body can't recapture it and get you sick again. Is that clear? That is, and it makes sense. Um, Even just the body accumulating things in the beginning, you said it's not necessarily always harmful when it's being stored in the body, which makes sense to me if that the body's probably doing that to protect us, to protect itself, right? So it's isolating these things so they're not active in the body. So then it makes perfect sense that when you start removing them, they're once again moving around. You have to be careful that you do that the right way. So I guess the next logical question that I really want to hear your answer to is then how can we support the body and support the endoplasmic reticulum in doing this process safely? Yeah, great question. So we and there's going to be ongoing research here, so I'm going to be able to give you a new answer next year and a new answer the year after that because we continually improve our understanding of the ER and, and the associated organelles that go with it. You know, there's some other really cool things inside your cell that help, but let's just focus on the ER for now. One, it's highly energetic requirement. So, for example, it requires a lot of electricity to run it, which means our mitochondria need to be healthy because the endoplasmic reticulum uses a ton of ATP. ATP is the fuel of the cell. Everything we eat as a caloric intake, whether it be fat or sugar or a combination thereof, those go to make ATP. And ATP drives this machine, you know, this waste treatment plant. So we need, we need to have healthy endoplasmic, healthy, to have a healthy endoplasmic reticulum, we need a healthy mitochondria. Therefore, there are nutrients that we know. There are things like CoQ10. There are things like all your B vitamins, some of your unique minerals, some of your unique phyto um, components that we use in our world that help keep the ER happy, that help drive more energy production. 
Uh, there's a compound that we use in detoxification called PQQ that helps helps us make ATP. That's part one. So we look at the cell and we start looking at the upstream organelles that help us do this. And they require, surprisingly, a lot of nutrients, just like it, it's a lot of electricity for a tra- waste treatment plant. You, you require a lot of that. So that's one of the things you do is you support that. Downstream, you've got the removal. So once they create this waste and they're going to get rid of it, we want to create a situation where you're capturing all that. So you have a very unique way of using things like zeolite, clinoptilolite specifically, uh, other binders that we use like uh, humates and fulvates and lignite and others that we want to bind up, baobab. These are things that we use on the other side as chelators to trap these waste products either the, either in the inside the body, so it'd be in the kidney and the bladder, or in the waste of your colon, you know, from the release of bile waste, we want to trap it in the GI tract. And those two areas, we focus on capturing it so that you can actually eliminate it and not have it get reabsorbed, because that's critical. One of the biggest challenges with this mobility, once you start moving these tox- toxins, they can be reabsorbed very readily. Once they're in, the, in any one of your other tissues, they can be reabsorbed into the bloodstream or into the, not just the bloodstream, but even in your lymph system very readily. So one of the things that we do uh, in a term that we talk about cyto is develop a way to trap it. And the cyto you hear about is a unique complex of ingredients that we use to trap those compounds so they can't be re-entered into the bloodstream or the lymphatic system for that matter. Interesting. I've definitely come across zeolite a little bit in my research, and I'd love to understand a little bit more basically what's going on in the body when with using something like that and how then um, that's different. I know we hear lots of uh, recommendations in um, detoxing and using things like chlorella, for instance, or glutathione and different substances. So I'm curious if there's any interaction amongst those or how zeolite is different. That's great. Uh, we so again, I want to mention that you know we we believe truly in the true detoxification process, right? The truly cellular detoxification. I don't want to take away from these other. We we use all these things in the process. We use glutathione, we use chlorella in many instances, many instances, and among other things, it's all part of the program. But to get to the core of it, you have to think about the compounds you're using and when and where they work. So, for example. Glutathione is amazing, and we use a glutathione in the project or in the process of detoxification. We use as high amounts as we can, possibly can. And when we use the glutathione, what we're trying to drive there is there's a certain amount of glutathione that can be utilized by the microbiome. So if you take it orally or if you take it liposomally, you'll get some into the bloodstream and the lymph tissue, and some will certainly get consumed by the microbiome that lives along the GI tract, whether it be the mouth all the way down through the colon because they, they too use glutathione and they use chlorella because it, it's full of compounds that the bacteria love or the mold or the whatever's along the, the whole GI, they will use it as well. So it has a dual purpose really. It helps your microbiome to some degree and it can help you. We use it at a level where we know we've measured the blood so we know it's coming into the blood and not all being consumed by the, the microbiome, for example. And it's certainly not being destroyed by the acid, which was someone's earlier postulation from a publication years ago. So we've overcome that in a capsule, and we've studied the blood to, to demonstrate that. Those are some of the things that we know get into the blood, and they can help. And glutathione is an amazing antioxidant. It's a moderate um, chelator, uh, 
some people call it a chelator, but really where it does its work is it's used by your endoplasmic reticulum in phase two. It actually targets toxins. And when it targets those toxins, it gets attached to those toxins to tell the body to get rid of it. And that's one of the amazing things it does that people don't really talk about much. So you want enough around to do that. And if you're highly toxic, you're consuming a bunch of ATP, you're consuming a bunch of glutathione, which is robbing the rest of your body. I mean, you've heard of priority principles. And when you rob your body of all these nutrients because you're so toxic, other body parts are, are sacrificing their health to keep you safe. It's, it's a priority principle. So that's the other reason why during a detoxification, you'll notice sometimes the dosing goes up over time and it's got to be there for a long time. Seven days is not enough. Three months is not enough for most people, to be honest with you. So you drive these processes up and up and up so that the body can keep getting rid of things, but also take care of the other areas of the body that need glutathione, that need vitamin C, that need resveratrol and things of that nature. You want to, and vitamin B2, 3, 6, and so on. That's other, the other part of our philosophy is drive those mechanisms up, but also take care of the rest of the body simultaneously. But when you compare those, so glutathione and chlorophyll or um, blue-green algae or all these other organic compounds, they're going to suffer a certain fate. They're organic, which means they can bind organic things better. They don't bind metals as well. Um, they can bind a metal, but sometimes there's a metal already attached, like sodium copper chlorophyllin. Sodium copper chlorophyll is great for the microbiome, but it doesn't likely make it into the bloodstream. If it does, that really speaks to a leaky gut issue, not so much that the body transported it. It does most of its work in the GI. Uh, glutathione does its work all through the body as a number in a number of ways because your enzymes use it. It doesn't likely bind up too much in the way of the heavy metals that it's circulating around. It may, but there's really no evidence that it binds too much. When you take something like clinoptilolite, which is a zeolite, and you can get it both into the GI and into the blood, it isn't metabolized by the body. It's not changed. It's not used by enzymes. And its backbone is uh, silicate. It's a silicate backbone, so it doesn't get destroyed by acids or by the microbiome or by your body. So it stays intact. And we know in its intact form, it looks like a little, uh, you've seen those little balls that, uh, kind of like a Buckminster Fullerene. That's probably not a good example. Imagine um, a wiffle ball or a ball that has a cavity in the center of it. That's how it works. The heavy metals can be trapped inside the ball and then they, that's how the body carries them out of the, out through whether it goes through the colon or through the bladder. It traps and it's not subjected to all of the destructive forces that most organ, organic chelators are subject to. And that's one of the great benefits of the zeolite products or the clinoptilite products, and you can get them in different sizes. We've found a way to change the size of these compounds. So you can have tiny balls, which sounds funny, two large, large spheres that can trap different kinds of compounds in them to the different degrees. And that's really the brilliancy of it is it allows you, one, to trap different things, two, get them into different tissues. The, small, the smaller you are, the more tissues you get into the larger you are, you stay within the GI tract, if that makes sense. That does make sense. And you mentioned this is not a seven-day process or even a three-month process for most people. I'm curious, how long are you seeing in the research is it actually taking to get people back to kind of just a homeostasis? And then at that point, is this something that can be maintained more easily or is this an ongoing active process? 
Yeah, it can be. I mean, there. of course, I can't speak for everyone and every clinician just in our data. Three months is probably the minimal for when people come to a clinician and say, hey, you know, here's my symptoms. Here's the things I'm exposed to. And, and of course, these guys can run functional tests and look for heavy metals, look for other toxins, you know, whether it be mold exposure and so on. When there is when there's enough that it's going to show up on tests, that's significant. And when that's significant, you know, you're looking at three months to get some breakthroughs. And then you're probably looking at if you've been exposed for years, you're looking at unexposing yourself. And the first thing you have to do, of course, is stop getting the exposure. But to, to get back to some homeostasis, and you're right, there is always going to be a homeostasis. We can't avoid the exposure to these things. And that's a good point. I'm really glad you pointed that out, that you would have to move. And even if you moved into the middle of the Amazon, you're still going to get some exposure from the sky, right? So there's really no way to get away completely. But when you do are living in a very exposed place, it is a homeostasis. That's a good way to put it. So to get yourself back to a healthier homeostasis, you're looking at minimum three months to start getting breakthroughs. And then we're seeing people doing a maintenance type situation for the next six months or more, uh, depending on who they are and how well their systems are working. You might have the ability to upregulate your endoplasmic reticulum and your mitochondria and your DNA and say, you know what, Mine, mine's kicking, kicking butt right now. I'm experiencing a ton of improvement, whereas your sister who may have been given, you know, some, I don't want to call it the short stick, but she might have more what are called genetic predispositions and other epigenetic predispositions that makes her journey much more difficult. And, and you can also see that as evidenced in how you respond to an infection, for example. Some people get a, you know, get Epstein-Barr or mono and they, they don't even notice it. Other people, it takes them down. And that is a predisposition for a number of very complex reasons that might make them have a much tougher time, if that makes sense. It does. And, and I'm also curious, so you probably, uh, in the research, are seeing people with a wide variety of different issues coming in with probably a variety of different levels of both metals or organic compounds or other inorganic compounds. Are, is the approach different or are there some things that can be kind of universally used safely um, or do you need to take a more varied approach based on what someone's coming in with a problem? You know, from a detox standpoint, I think we've gotten enough information that there is a safe, semi-universal way to approach it, right? You want to, if you, if you think of my pathway I've described, hopefully it's not too convoluted or complex, but when you want to fix the cellular level detoxification, you focus on a lot of these compounds we've discussed on the endoplasmic reticulum and so on. That is universal as long as you apply them correctly. And then in terms of getting rid of them, like we talked about the clinotillite, you know, and the cyto and the zeolites and the, the other binders, you can apply those carefully, mind you. We always recommend, you know, going through a clinician or at least through someone that has some experience. These are tools that you can apply effectively for many cases across the spectrum, right? The, the, you would apply for PCBs or pesticides, the same thing or similar things you would to aflatoxins, for example. And then you could also apply some other things to heavy metals because of the cross, you know, when you're looking at phase one and phase two and phase three detoxification, they take care of most of these toxins. So you want to support all of the detoxification universally in a similar way. You would cater some of this in terms of dosing and follow up with, with certain things if you knew you were going strictly after 
a heavy metal poisoning versus a mold poisoning, you would do some specialization, but that would be up to the clinician at that time. Got it. What about um, fasting? I know it's a little bit of a deviation, but I know that there are a lot of practitioners that recommend fasting as a way to support the body in that natural process of detoxification. And if nothing else, to stop putting negative inputs into the body for a short amount of time. Are you seeing that in the research? Is there data on that as well? You know, I'm, I'm seeing more and more. We're finally starting to notice. I've always loved the idea of this intermittent fasting or certain fastings because it's been such a, an important part of cultures and, and even religious texts, if you, if you look back in time. And I think everybody's recognizing that, that, that almost every culture has had some form of that. And the cool thing about that for me is not only for detox, which it certainly can do, and the more often you do it, I think, and, and if you look back through literature, both scientific and otherwise, a frequency allowed you to essentially not only reset your body's processes, biochemistry, but also the, the psychology or the cognitive processes. And those things have to be in balance. We know that we can't have one without the other. They're all so very difficult, um, but you want to coordinate them. So I've always been a fan of it. And I think the data is starting to show that a little bit of fasting or intermittent and diet variation and these things absolutely contribute positively. And I would argue it's not only positive to the detoxification system that's within your body, but it's also modulating your microbiome, which, by the way, is a huge contributor to your success and or your, or your failure regarding detoxification. It's probably a, a different conversation because it could take me a whole nother time, but it is a critical aspect to the process, no doubt. Got it. Then I guess to take it to a very practical level, uh, for people listening who, uh, my listeners are really educated and understand, I think a lot of them, what we're facing as far as all the things we've talked about, the day-to-day exposure to all of these different harmful substances and our food supply and just all of the issues we're facing. So for anyone who is recognizing that and then seeing the result of some of these problems in their own body, what do you feel like is a good protocol to get started with that whole phase one, phase two, phase three, and supporting the body through that? Yeah, it's that that right there is where we have spent a lot of our time, and we worked really closely with uh, Dr. Pomp and Warren Phillips on this project. We have a a process we call it the phase one, phase two, phase three, or we call it prep phase, body phase, and brain phase. And along with that, you have a another liquid product that we call Cyto that's included in the latter phases. And these phases are designed around accomplishing a more thorough and cellular-based detoxification. And so, as you know, you know, as you and I both know Warren uh, very well, this procedure who, which we collaboratively created, or this protocol, otherwise known as, it covers, I've talked about all these supporting materials that go into helping the cell do its job from the macro level right down inside to the endoplasmic reticulum and enzymes, when you look at these phases, they're very complex. You wouldn't be able to do them without some simplicity. So in order to get this process down to, and it's a 90-day program on the outset, it's 30 days with each phase, but you have to repeat certain phases over time. That's, been, that's become clear to us. And like I said, there's the prep phase, which preps your body for the detoxification. There's the um, body phase, which focuses on the body tissues, and then the brain phase because of the some of the really deeply... Um, rooted fat soluble toxins that can go to the brain as well as just supporting the brain because it it can it can be impacted throughout the process those three phases are critical and then you add the cyto which is an elimination step 
Cyto is the uh, patent pending compound that is based on the clinoptilolite in a liposomal form. I don't know if anybody if everybody's heard about liposomes, but it's a it, it almost looks like a cell. It's a baby cell that traps the the clinoptilolite molecules, the water soluble ones, among other binders, and delivers them to the tissue. And if you can deliver them to the tissue, you bypass a lot of the destructive events that can happen with other compounds. So that's pretty cool. We're excited about that. But that these phases allow you to really, and if you look at them and look at the ingredients and look at all of the the makeup, there's, I think when I did math at one point in time, there are, gosh, I think there's well over 200 natural products in the entire program. And that's because we are trying to hit every step of the detoxification pathway and support it. And of course, it goes over time. And that is what we consider, you know, the minimum that you need to do in order to get detoxification. Can you do a lot less if you need to, or if you're, you know, if you're in a hurry? Yeah, you can, but you always need to revisit the idea that to get real results, you got to be committed to the story. You really have to be committed to the story. And that also includes things like you mentioned, the fasting and the diet, the diet changes and the variations and so on to help support the process. But that's really what we've, as a supplement group and um, detoxification specialist, that's where we've focused our attention. And we've put it in packages to make it simple for the people. It's not 30 bottles of different things. It's it's one satchel twice a day up to other satchels, but it's very clearly defined for people. So it's not very confusing. And that's, that's one of our other side notes. We've tried to make it simple. Gotcha. This episode is brought to you by SteadyMD, the new way that I am working with my primary doctor. Think about this. We text our friends, we text our family, we even text our babysitters whenever we need them. So why do we go sit in an office for hours to wait to our talk to talk to our doctor when we only have a five minute question? That's why I'm so excited about SteadyMD. It's a revolutionary new company that is changing the way that patients interact with their primary care doctors. They have a network of specialized doctors that have a background in everything from functional medicine to thyroid care and many other conditions so they can work with you and be personalized to you. They also now have a pediatric add-on that means I can text or video chat my doctor whenever one of my kids is sick or gets a scrape or a bee sting, and they can look and tell me if it needs additional medical attention. I have my own doctor who knows me, who knows my medical history, and who knows my health philosophy, but who also has a limited number of patients, much less than most doctors. This way, they're available via text and video chat at all times. And they know things like I want to avoid antibiotics whenever I can, or that I have thyroid disease. I really think this is the future of healthcare, and it has been awesome for our family. You can check them out and learn more by going to steadymd.com forward slash WM. That's S-T-E-A-D-Y-M-D.com forward slash W-M. This podcast is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. If you've tried their delicious coffees and elixirs, you know just how amazing they are. And if you haven't, you are missing out. Four Sigmatic creates superfood mushroom drinks that are super easy to incorporate into your daily life. Their coffee packets, for instance, are easy to mix into hot or cold liquid, 
they taste amazing, and they have the benefit of added mushrooms like lion's mane, chaga, and cordyceps to give your brain an extra boost and also to tone down the jitters. So they have slightly less caffeine, but I find double the focus from that versus plain coffee. And just a tip, I like to mix their packets into almond milk for like a cold brew type taste. But there's a lot of science backing up these mushrooms as well. Studies continually show the benefits of these superfood medicinal mushrooms for things like brain health, immune health, and so much more. My favorite is their coffee with lion's mane, and I drink that a lot of mornings for a smooth boost without the jitters of regular coffee. And I also love their reishi in the evening for amazing sleep. During the day, I'll often add in a cup of chaga or cordyceps for the immune and focus benefits. But you can check out all of those and all of their other products by going to foursigmatic.com forward slash wellnessmama, and you can save 15% with the code wellnessmama, all one word. So again, that's F O U R S I G M A T I C dot com forward slash wellnessmama, and make sure to use the code wellnessmama. So back to um, zeolite for a second. So I know that you mentioned um, there's different types and I think different sizes as well. I'm curious, first of all, what are the criteria in finding a high quality one? I know that people can go to getcytohere.com to find out more. And there's a whole article on this. Um, But what are the criteria you're looking for in something like a zeolite product? And is it something that can be taken just kind of as a preventative or maintenance thing by pretty much anyone, like realizing we're facing all of these negative inputs constantly? Yeah, yeah, it can. And there's a a really amazing caveat here. When you think about in nature, all of these things that do a great job of binding, and you've listed some, right? We looked at glutathione, who's kind of a weak binder, but but you've mentioned chlorophyllin, you've uh, chlorophyll. How about there's things like humates and fulvates, which are these organic binders. Trying to think of if there's others, and you can chime in if you remember, but clinoptilolite or zeolite is one. Oh, diatomaceous earth is one, clays. These are all compounds, natural compounds that we know bind metals and other things in nature because that's how we discover them. And many industries use them to bind things up. Fantastic. We've known that for a very long time. We love to take advantage of it. But guess what? When you bring these things from nature and you want to put them into a product that's going to be consumed, guess what? They're already full of heavy metals. I have tested now probably three dozen different sources of these uh, zeolites, clinoptilolites, humates, fulvates across the globe. And universally, they are full of heavy metals and or other toxins from the get-go. Because, see, they just live in nature. That's what they do in nature. They bind things up. So when you harvest them out of nature, they're full of it. So the first thing you have to do, first thing we do, is we do what's called a, a cleansing process. And this is the patent pending. This is a process we do that strips these these natural products of their heavy metals. Otherwise, you're just consuming heavy metals within these compounds or within these natural products. How do people get around it? People dilute them. So you take, if you have a gram of it, and you, and you certainly can't distribute that to someone because that's full of heavy metals, you just take a tiny fraction of it. You take a little grain of it and put that in a product because the dilution effect dilutes not only clinoptilolite, but also dilutes the heavy metals. So now you're safe to, to consume it. We think that's ludicrous. We wanted to be able to give higher concentrations. So we cleaned the clinoptilolite. That's step one. The step two was about the sizing. Uh, the different sizes bind 
different heavy metals preferentially, meaning that they combine more or less, that's one step. The other part of it is with the size is that the smaller the clinoptolite, the more it can invade small spaces like intracellular spaces. So we have a range of sizes from, and when I say sizes, we can imagine, you know, for your listeners, we have to kind of define that. What does that mean? Let's just take, uh, again, let's use the ball analogy because clinoptolite is a spherical shape. So a, um, a golf ball would be the small version. And so the golf ball can be used to get inside of things, right? The large version would be something the size of, Oh, goodness. Maybe I better change that analogy. A beach ball is the big one. A marble, a small marble is a small one. Well, the small marble is going to get into a lot of tissues, a lot of tiny spaces. The beach ball isn't, but the beach ball does its job by collecting all of the heavy metals that are being secreted into the large spaces like the colon. The little tiny marbles getting into all the little tiny spaces. So we provide marbles. We provide soccer balls. We provide baseballs. We provide beach balls the entire gamut of sizes in order to get into all of the different spaces that we want to get into to trap these toxins, these heavy metals. And that's really the key there. So you've got one, the cleanliness of it. So when you eat it, it's free of heavy metals, uh, really low tested heavy metals. And for example, most zeolites, when you test them, they're between 20 and 30 parts per million lead. I'll just keep your eye on the 20, 30 part. When we clean it, we're down to below one. We're less than one. That's the, that's the scale that we've changed it. So when you eat it, you can eat more of it, and there's no lead there. You're not actually consuming lead when you take it. And then, of course, the sizes are what allow us to get into the different niches in the body. You can also, on an ongoing basis, use it in your food. You can, you can drop a drop of it in your coffee. You can drop a drop of it in your tea or in another drink, and it will bind things up. And then when you drink it, It'll carry it through you. So there are a lot of applications, both from ingesting and just using it as an ongoing basis in your food, your water, and so on. Interesting. And I know that we're going to get the questions uh, that I always get, which are, when is it appropriate or not appropriate to use these things? Are there times when it's contraindicated? I'm going to go out on a limb just based on my own research and say, do not actively detox when you're pregnant. Um, always talk to a practitioner who knows what they're doing at any point. Um, and in fact, I would really encourage women to try to focus on this pre-pregnancy if you're considering getting pregnant because it, it makes a big difference to lifelong health for children. But I know a lot of moms listening may be wondering, can I use this with my children in a small dose or as a preventative? Is it safe for children? Yeah, that's fantastic. You're reading my mind because it is it is a therapeutic approach to you know detoxification. And so on an ongoing basis, you, you certainly want to cycle. You don't want to always be in, you don't always want to be in the, in the process of detoxing because there are consequences. There's the nutrient side of it that we've talked about. And then there's the chelation, the stripping side. Well, the stripping side can also deplete you of other, other nutrients. So if you're in a detoxification, like with the metal binding, it also has the potential to bind up good metals like zinc, magnesium, manganese, and so on. So you want to replenish during the detox. You always want to replenish your minerals. And we do that in the packages. But if someone is an ongoing basis and they're done with, you know, going through the steps, the phases, and they're just in an ongoing, always be aware of replenishing micronutrients because they can be stripped by detoxing. You can strip your body of the small things, you know, the, 
the, the, the micronutrients, the cobalts and the zincs and so on, replenish the minerals, replenish some of the micronutrients, whether they be vitamins or other, you know, fat solubles, always replenish those during and after a detox phase. And then as to the long, the long haul, it's always a cycling like you would fasting, like you would, you know, the dietary variations on, you know, go through periods where you do and then you don't so that your body can have and not always be stripping itself of the good stuff while you're trying to take out the bad stuff. And yes, always speak with your practitioner. And when it comes to children and pregnancy, you're right. Absolutely don't touch it unless there's some um, overly whelming reason to do it. You know, if there's a critical reason to do it, that's the decision that the doctor has to make or the clinician has to make. Otherwise, no, wait until you're done. Secondly, with younger people, if you're going to do these very nutritive detoxifications, then run it way down. The, the rule of thumb for a lot of people, and you can't, this isn't always the case, but an adult size dose is based on weight oftentimes. So when you're taking a capsule, that's the dose. It says take one capsule a day. That's based on about a 150 pound person. If you're a fourth of that, you have to cut the dose into at least a fourth and so on. And once you get below two, again, that's very, very, very tricky. So you need the clinician has to be the guiding reason for that. For anybody under two, that's a clinician's choice only. Got it. I think that's both two great pieces of advice that you just said. One is that pretty much anything should be cycled and rotated. And that is advice that I have had recurring in a lot of my continuing education and research in the health world, um, especially when I have studied overseas, like in Switzerland, that was the first time I heard it uh, last year. And they said, you know, don't do anything every single day. Give your body a break once in a while, both from obviously a detoxing side, your body needs time to recover and replenish. But also even when you're just talking of supplements or food, anything, it's good to not give your body the same inputs every single day, day after day. Uh, and we now know the importance of variation across the board. So I think that's really good advice. And then of course, also working with a practitioner who knows what they're doing. And um, that can't be overstated. Like, like you've mentioned, you made a, a wonderful case for why we do need to support our bodies in this and how there are safe ways like zeolite that you can use safely at home and maintenance. But if you're talking severe issues and problems, and especially involving things like heavy metals, I know you would probably advise this as well. Work with someone who knows what they're doing. Don't just try to throw things at it and hope something works. Because like to circle back to the beginning, we know that when we mobilize these things, it can have a negative impact if it's done incorrectly. Absolutely. And, and I want to re back to the beginning, as, as you mentioned, we can't take it lightly, right? These, these really get fixed quick schemes. There might be some good materials in there, good compounds in there, but there's no such thing as get healthy quick when you've gotten yourself so sick. It's just not something I want people to think that they can do, right? I, I can't, I can't decide, wake up one day and decide, okay, after one week of climbing my, my backyard rock wall, I can go hike Mount Everest. It's silly. I need to take it seriously. And you're right. Having the guidance of someone that does it and is experienced in it, that's, that's so amazing. We, all, we look for guidance when we talk about money. We look for guidance when we talk about, you know, we go to accountants, we go to business classes. We always look for guidance. We also need guidance when it comes to our own health. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's amazing. And it gets you down that path faster. Absolutely. And I think complementary to that is also this wonderful trend I'm seeing, especially in people like the people listening to this podcast, of also taking ownership for your health. And that doesn't mean you're taking, you're the only decision maker. You obviously definitely want to work with consultants and practitioners and people who know what they're doing. 
But I love this trend I'm seeing, and you probably are as well, of people really taking ownership of the outcome of their health and they're being willing to put in the work or to research these things and to understand things like the endoplasmic reticulum and how the body works so beautifully when you support it the correct way. So I'm really excited for the future as we have that complementarity between practitioners like you and like researchers who are on the cutting edge of this and also patients who are willing to really put in the work and the research and address these problems. I feel like it's a very exciting time for the health world. Oh, it is. And the more we do it as this generation, guess who's watching us? The younger generation and what we're leaving to them, we need to leave them a legacy of take your own future of health into your hands. We tell them that with their careers, you know, take your career in your hand, do what you love, do what your passion is, be passionate about your body because they, when they watch us doing it, they're going to start to take that onto themselves. And no matter what we think, our next generations, our children, our children's children is why we're doing this. We want we want the best for our subsequent generations. That's what we do best. We give them the knowledge and, and what better doing it than just becoming the example. And they might, and it's also going to fix the planet simultaneously, by the way. Yeah, exactly. We need to address both of those. And it's definitely a pressing thing. And I'm excited for all the, the advances in research and technology, like what we've talked about today and the ability to actually do that and to start to make changes. And just to reiterate for anyone listening, the links, of course, will be in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about writing them down while you're driving. The show notes will be at wellnessmama.fm. But also we've mentioned zeolite several times and also just detoxification. And that URL that I've mentioned, getcyto, C-Y-T-O, here.com, that has a really well-referenced and in-depth article that explains the pathways and has the references. So those of you guys I know who are interested in the research can go there and learn more. But Dr. Shay, do you have any parting words or ways that you would encourage people to kind of get started with this? Because I think it is a compelling and important thing and something a lot of us need to address. How would you recommend getting started? I would recommend going exactly to the links you just said, because those links get you going on not only the the process or the, the products even that are involved, but it gives you additional information. And then you can follow up with people like myself, you know, Warren and, and our group of companies that are working on this project. And you can learn, but at the same time, we've made it simple. So when you do get as you start to move forward in your program and you get into these pro- this program with the boxes and the Cyto, it's actually quite simple. And, and the simplicity allows people to stay compliant even while you're learning. So certainly follow up on these, um, these links for sure because once you get into it, it's simple and you can stay congruent to it and you'd be surprised that once you're in it and working with everybody in these circles, you become part of the dynamic that's working towards the end game. You become part of the, what, what do we call it, the culture of trying to fix ourselves and take our take responsibility for things. And it, that culture is really a nice place to be. Absolutely. And our numbers are growing, thankfully. And I know there are many people listening who are part of that movement as well. Um, but Dr. Shane, thank you so much for your research. I find this whole area fascinating. And I love that we now have the ability to look at the body in such a deep way and to understand what's happening even on such a small cellular level. And I appreciate you breaking it down for us today and explaining it all so clearly. Yeah, thanks. I know it's, sometimes it's a lot. And if you have any any desire to revisit some of these, I'd love to join you again because we can continue, you know, investigating the excitement of the cellular level stuff. But um, otherwise, it's just it's a pleasure to be here. 
Thank you so much. And I think we might have to do a round two based on follow-up questions. I think a lot of people are going to be interested to keep learning more. And of course, as always, I appreciate all of you who are here today who joined us and listened and learned. And I hope that you will join me again on the next episode of the Wellness Mama podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time and thanks as always for listening.